Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Ethical Consumer Podcast. I am here with John Crotty, the one of the founders of Small Axe Peppers Hot Sauce. Welcome, John. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a great day to be here. Thanks for being here, for sure. So I love what you are doing. And if you guys head to their website, smallaxehotpeppers.com, you will find their motto and their pillars of what they're built on. And one of the things that I loved the most was your phrase, communities are built by people working together. And that's so true. And I think it's something that we need more of and that we've really seen in 2020. And I would love to hear why that's one of your slogans. Well, um, thank you very much for having us on. We're very grateful for the opportunity to tell our story. Uh, You know, the success of what we do is frankly... uh, how many people can understand the story, right? Because the story is the product and the product is the story. We started as affordable housing developers and we fixed broken buildings here in New York City. We fixed some of the single worst buildings. Uh, People, uh, you cannot believe that in America, this would be a setup in a city as wealthy and as prosperous as New York, that they could have such abject and terrible conditions for people to live in. It is awful, awful. So as you fix the property and, and the properties get better, and, and they do, we're very proud of that work, you realize there's a human element to the people who were sort of forsaken in this endeavor and the others left out. And, and you know, bricks and mortar is not what's needed to fix it. What's needed to fix it is a, a sense of community, a sense of belonging, a sense of togetherness, and then trying to sort of both selfishly help the affordable housing projects because we have mortgages for 30 years, but also on a personal basis, sort of, you know, you get a chance to be a professional, to work, to do things. And it would be a nice legacy, personally, if you spent your time on this planet engaged in activities that were helping people and bringing them together. And so the hot sauce basically became the conduit to achieve this goal. What do I mean? And again, you could stop me if I'm ever too verbose. I could talk for a while. <laughs> pretty passionate about it. We've been doing it for a little while now, so... Um, But, you know, everything, community gardens are wonderful, amazing places where people go to have something they otherwise wouldn't have, a sense of community, a sense of belonging, a place to work, a place to sit, a place to hang out, a place to participate in, uh, you know, the green uh, parts of the world that in urban cities, in many cases, are missing or is missing from the neighborhoods we're in, in a real way. So these are really kind of magical, special places that give people something that they need as humans and that will help them uh, form more lasting community bonds together. They're space constrained, they're smaller. So if we were gonna make something to take from the garden, to go out into the world, we had to be able to grow a little of it to make a lot of it. Frankly, hot sauce became the right conduit for it. We can grow 100 pounds of uh, hot sauce and make about 500 pounds, oh, excuse me, I always messed that up. We can grow 100 pounds of peppers and make 100 pounds or 500 pounds of hot sauce. That is very important for what we're doing because they're, we're now working with over 100 gardens, but they're all somewhat space constrained, except for we think the good people in Salt Lake City who grew an immense amount of peppers this year, which is a great thing. <laughs> more than we had anticipated. So we'll deal with that. So, you know, community is really an extension of that same thing. And what we were able to do in the Bronx and then in subsequent other places is, you know, 
try to become a part of that community by explaining the value proposition. Try to explain to people, look, if you do this thing that you do anyways, which is grow stuff, and you just take a small portion of your yard, and we ask them not to be more than 15 or 20 percent anywhere, right? Don't make it what you do. Make it part of what you do. And let us be helpful in that endeavor so you can do the other things that you also do very well. And the message resonated. The people, Some people used it brilliantly in their efforts. The one guy up in Brook Park, uh, Ray, uh, and his crew up there, they take uh, alternatives to incarceration kids and teach them about business and how it works. And they get money. And it's a very tangible, real example for Ray to show them their, their labors and what they do generate a net positive for them there's a different path and it it creates a little sense of hope it creates a little and you know we've had some success with these various products and they've gone out there in the world well we're very excited from a point of view of putting the product out there it gives the people participating in those gardens in those communities a tangible real sort of look to say hey you know i'm part of something bigger than this it's extending beyond here and that message is very powerful for a lot of people they they want to you know belong to this thing that you know is is somewhat bigger than themselves but wholly related to their own activities so it's 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 been a, a fascinating project it's been really cool we're lucky to to, to have sort of started it and, and to be engaged in it the people along it have been amazing so when you look at that community of people that we've been able to work with it's uh it's a really special group i was up at one of the gardens this weekend uh, they have a sign i'll send you i, you know, I probably don't have a lot of these signs but, uh, you, you know, they're leading some form of a protest against a couple different things and they make some signs. It was it was uh, I, don't, I don't know that I agree with everything they're talking about, but it gave them a nexus to, to create and have that conversation. And, th- and that's important. Right. That's a really big deal. You need to be able to, as a community, talk about these bigger topics and sort of learn from each other and come up with that. And, you know, so in, in its own way, it was me learning sort of how they were thinking about it, right? So I get to participate in that sense of community as well. And that's a voice I probably wouldn't have heard if I didn't, you know, wasn't involved with the hot sauce. So when you're when you're talking about the community coming together in green spaces, you have a few different locations for these community gardens. And the first one you indicated was the Bronx. That's where it all started. Is that right? It is. I mean, so so we don't really have any gardens. What we do is we go to the community gardens that are in place and we say to them, here's our value proposition. You guys grow stuff all the time. We'll give you the seeds in the beginning of the season or in New York here, we give them the seedlings because we're here and take them and grow. Them. If you don't do anything with them, you're welcome for the seeds. Thank you very much. But if you want to, you can sell me back the peppers and I'll buy them for X price. It's sort of a fixed price up front and they go through the year. And they grow peppers. Some people do not sell them back to us ever. Some people sell us, you know, three to seven pounds. And some people sell us, you know, like 600 pounds, you know. It just depends on who they are, what they're doing, what they want to do. And and a couple of the gardens we're a little more affiliated with. This year, the one garden didn't grow any. And, you know, it's their prerogative. Like, we still have about 100 different farms nationally that we're working with. It did start in the Bronx because... That's where we did the affordable housing, which is an actual nexus point for that. But the story grows well beyond the Bronx fairly quickly and, and is still going through that growth as we speak. So you started in, let me see. So the Bronx was kind of the catalyst or the nexus point. 
you said, when did this all start? When we, when we spoke before, did you mention you're on your sixth year? Yeah, I get, I get confused uh, by what year it is. And, you know, launch is a, is a relative term. Um, you know, did you launch when you had the idea? Did you launch when you started trying to think about it? Did you launch when you made your first round of product? the next year when you actually did it again i i don't know what the right answer is but <laughs> no you know but I, I can tell you when we started doing it um you know it was around 14 and we made i remember the first batch we made we made five thousand bottles we filled the jars by hand it was outrageously expensive and i would have told you at that moment we launched we did it you know but in reality it was like you know a huge effort to get to the starting line. And what is it? Just a massive marathon that goes on forever. But, uh, so we've been at it in earnest uh, about five or six years now. And it's grown every year since. COVID uh, had a lot of great partners. People like the story. People like the gardeners. The gardeners like, you know, the other gardeners and coalescing around it. And uh, it's, it's, it's been an idea that I think the consumer has loved in its entirety once they got to know the story. But of course, as you know, being a podcaster around and the various other activities you have, uh, it's it's hard to tell a story. It's hard to get people to respond to a story. So, you know, we're happy for opportunities like this to talk about it and think, you know, most people when they hear about an ability to help at the grocery store directly into the garden, that, that that's a big deal. You know, a lot of other products are designed as sort of derivatives and that's great. You know, if you help this product do this, a good effect will happen somewhere else, not necessarily related to this chain, but because of this chain. And, and that's a really important thing, and we really like it. From what we can see, we're one of the very few companies out there where if you're buying hot sauce, you are directly putting money into those gardens. The peppers are coming from them. We, we take, we fly the peppers in from wherever they are in the various cities, and you know the mash is made with them, and we make the hot sauce with those peppers. So the consumer really has the ability to make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that, that kind of left an impression on me the first time we chatted as well was you said it was a way to connect these urban community gardens with the public sector. And usually that link is not made. Like you said, helping directly at getting the food into the grocery store is one thing and every little bit helps, but this is a link that doesn't usually get to happen. And you're doing this in such an interesting way with these bountiful peppers. You said Salt Lake turned out a whole bunch this year. How many do, do you have that number off the top of your head? I don't. It was more than a ton. And, oh, and the guys, man. Yeah, that's a lot of peppers. And I don't know <laughs> that well, but um, they're uh, part of the you know deal that we do with the uh, International Rescue Committee. So again, I'm met those people, which is disappointing, but they're all refugees from other countries. They, the International Rescue does gardening to have them sort of come together as a shared language or, you know, tool that they can sort of participate in the assimilation into America while at the same time, you know, keeping their homeland roots alive. Agriculture is a big deal for, uh, you know, people coming in from other parts of the world. It's a way to have them connect back to their, their piece. And gardens are just very innately human, right? Oh, yes. And you said that also this, listen, Jack, of my words here, it's, it's a really 
impressive thing that you're all over the U.S. now as well. You know, originally in New York, did I read on your website you have over 70 gardens now? Uh, yeah, I think that number's expanded. You know, it, it's constantly evolving. A bunch in Texas signed up and a bunch in Georgia signed up. Since you told me this is not airing until January, at some point in January, we're launching the Atlanta hot sauce. And oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, just to give you a sense of the evolution, and we think it'll be similar to here. You know, the the fans on this website picked uh, the city to go to. They wanted to do a collaboration with us. So they picked Atlanta. We don't have any gardens down there, but we called around and talked to some people. And now we have three. Well, that's not very good. I mean, three is not really that big a deal. But, you know, the evolution with this thing has been go in, introduce yourselves, do what you say you're going to do, deliver, right? And, um, you know, the next year there'll be more people wanting to deal with you because you will have done what you said you're going to do. By itself, uh, that's important. The other piece of it is, you know, there's some amount of notoriety with this stuff. And I think people want to be a part of it because, you know, the community garden is intent on creating community. Well, mm-hmm. if everyone was doing the hot sauce thing, wouldn't that be a great community, right? True. In gardening. So, you mm-hmm. know, they've really been really lucky to get to work with a lot of those people. They're really very special. And they, most of them, not all, uh, like plants a lot better than they like people. Mm-hmm. Proving <laughs> that, so, you know. They, 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 they're very good at dealing with people and they, they see a lot of things, but they really love their plants. Mm-hmm. I have started, I, I, I must say, I was not a plant person until this year. And then I got really excited about taking care of plants because I was home way more than I ever had been. And it's, it's an interesting thing to see it go through the whole growth cycle, just like I imagine it has been to start with, you know, your couple community uh, community gardens at first and then grow into a nationwide effort. Now, do you contact cities and see what's available or is it mostly communities contacting you to start this seed and pepper program? Well, um, we have been proactive about reaching out to cities. Mm-hmm. The, the network that exists within community gardens is very informal, but very real. What do I mean? When we went to Chicago, we didn't get any phone calls back to us checking us out. But I subsequently heard from some of the people we work with in the Bronx that they had all been called. <laughs> they were doing their background checks. They just weren't including us in it. Right? Sure. So it was very helpful that, you know, we had been the type of people we had strived to be, which was, we tell you what we're doing, and then we deliver on it. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of uh, vagaries, and there's not a scam. You know, it's just a very straightforward thing. When you're coming at something cold, you don't know who these people are. You don't have a track record. And they were willing to bet on us, and I'd like to think they thought it was a good bet because we've been able to do some great stuff together. You'd have to ask them. But, you know, we've been very, very, very like painfully, you know, consistent about exactly doing what we say and being very clear about what we're going to do. And, and it's been helpful. I think people have appreciated it. You know, the other thing, you know, you were talking about your garden. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's an important point to note. You know, I don't know. I don't have this perspective, but other people do. So the absence of hope is the absence of a tomorrow. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm telling you this from what I've learned because I don't, I don't know this myself. My whole life seems to be based on planning a future event, which is kind of saying mm-hmm. tomorrow, next day, next year, next month, next week. 
got to think about all these things, right? And I, and I think a lot of people look like that, but you know, I'm only speaking for myself. Um, what happens in some of these communities is because the situation is so dire, the lack of hope, the lack of hope, right, becomes the real calling card. Because if you didn't really care about tomorrow, you could do anything today because there is no tomorrow. Who gives a shit, right? So, you know, when you were talking about starting your own garden and how it grew and this and that, the thing about the garden is it is a completely forward-looking thing in its entirety. When you think about it. We can all work today to enjoy fruit tomorrow. And by itself, it's an important lesson and an important way to look at the world. When you're waking up the next day thinking about tomorrow, you have a massively different perspective than the one you would have if you weren't concerned about tomorrow. And that hope that the product can help foster and that, that forward-looking thing that gardens foster, regardless of whether or not there's a product, are really, really critical elements towards you know making you know, creating a better society, right? A better world. If everyone had the same amount of hopes, uh, there would be less problems with a lot of things that exist today. That's beautiful, John. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's not my thought. I think, I mean, it happens to be really true. You can see it. Talk to these guys. You know, they work. They, they do great work. I mean, amazing work. And it's in its most literal form. They take people who are totally thrown out by society, and they give them hope. They give them something to do. They give them a purpose, not you know an overall like, oh, this is your new like cult or something. But <laughs> we're going to no, it, it's important. It makes you change your understanding of the world. Mm -hmm. It's a so critical, and I didn't understand any of it when I started this, but I see it now, and I, I understand how big a deal it is. By itself, it might be the most impressive thing. There's been a whole series of offshoots from it beyond that, which are sort of dovetailing on that concept of hope and what we can do more for the next generation and future we're involved with some of those conversations which we're happy about so this has very clearly impacted you as well from the get-go you started trying to accomplish um a connection in communities bringing them together getting this hot sauce off the ground and from what you're saying having let's see was it a couple you said you went out and you were you were involved with a group of people that were protesting something and that was a new insight for you. And then seeing this idea of hope that perhaps people did not have, that has had a major impact. I, I just didn't understand it. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't a word I knew very well. It was always full of hope, you know, sure. full of tomorrow, always tomorrow. And so the concept of not having that would be, it'd be desperate. It'd be, it'd be horrible. It's the worst mm -hmm. thing we think of. Sure. I assume, you know, people with terminal diseases, struggle with as they go through that journey like you know shit man i'm not going to be here tomorrow mm -hmm. but actually they're feeling terrible so they probably can react to it differently but, you know uh and young people should never have to think like that right? sure so what are some of the hopes that you have in the future obviously getting more community gardens involved having an impact on even more people do you have anything coming up on the horizon you said detroit's getting its own labeled well, hot sauce Detroit has its own okay and i think we can put that out there but we, we look we should have expanded our footprint of gardens more significantly sure we're a new business we're starting we're started looking for investment and that 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 by itself has been challenging but we're starting mm -hmm. to reach some of those metrics where people care about you which Seems nuts, but um, it, it is what it is. And so, you know, in order to expand the footprint, I, I think we're a storytelling uh, 
organization. We need to go tell our story. And I, I think that's where the money comes in. We can handle the production stuff to, you know, we've been able to, it's been a little crazy sometimes, but we've been able to get it done. But um, as you grow bigger and bigger, your margin for error shrinks more and more. And the more capacity just leads to more logistical issues. You need a bigger organization. We've been doing this with very few people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that we've gotten this far is, is frankly a, a real testament to the, to the various people we get to work with to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's one new flavor, Atlanta, coming out. But really, 2021 is going to be about expansion into more stores. We have distributors who are helping us. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, distribution or more um, gardens participating. Okay. Really being able to work that angle a little bit more. And what I mean by work that angle? It's not much, you know, it's less than you think. You gotta talk to people, you gotta ask them what they're looking for, you gotta coordinate around that a little bit, and then you have to communicate with them as things go on. And then of course you have to do what you say you're gonna do and all that stuff. But um, so more and more gardens have signed up. COVID hurt the signature gardens, frankly, COVID hurt like everything else, community gardens mm-hmm. uh, can't aggregate communities, right? And the Bronx got really hard hit. Some of the other areas we work in got really hard hit. So it's a, it a tough year for them. But, uh, the vaccine, things are going to be different. I'm going to keep, you know, plodding along. And there's that hope again, right, mm-hmm. Julie? <laughs> yeah, right now, the hope is tomorrow's a little bit better. You get rid of the vaccine. Just itself out. You can, you can move yourself forward, right? Mm-hmm. It's always, it's what every business does at some level. They're always forward. They have to be. And this is a, a business in some sense, but, you know, it's also something beyond that. Mm-hmm. I did hear before I jumped on this call with you, actually, that there was a, was it an ICU nurse in New York that it received the first vaccine today, I believe. Looks like it. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, I wear three podcasts talking about that stuff, but it's good to know that it started. It's good to know that it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's good to know that at some period in the not so distant future, Many of my fellow New Yorkers and Americans will have an immunization and we could start putting this thing behind us, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. More hope for the yeah. future. Always that hope. So love it. There, oh, always man. <laughs> I love that. That's good. So it is more than hot sauce, but it is also some damn good hot sauce, is to my understanding. Mine is coming in the mail, and uh, our bless our United States Postal Service, it's taken a little extra. But I will have it in my paws eventually, and I will get to try it. But what was the first flavor, the first um, recipe that you guys tried? We should talk about it, because again, it's an important part of the story. So... Um, you're, you're out in the Midwest. I believe mm-hmm. you said Iowa. Yep. So I, I grew up in, in Manhattan in a place called Stuyvesant Town. And uh, Stuyvesant Town is uh, indescribable to those who haven't seen it. But there are um, 88 buildings of 12 to 14 stories each. They're all exactly the same. Exactly the same. They were built with the same materials. They're laid out in the same way. There's not really much geography in between the buildings to know where you're going. And the buildings all have terrible names, like 653, 652. Oh. And they're not really well marked. And so, you know, we grew up in this thing. So, you know, I, I grew up about 35,000 of my best friends in a uh, three-by-three block area. It's mm. less than so it's, it's got to be one of the denser parts of the country. So in that, you know, you, you meet a lot of people. You meet a lot of different people. And so when I was growing up, one of my best friends was a uh, young Filipino kid 
uh, King Fajanica, and we went to nursery school together, and then we went to grammar school together. And King is a very bright guy, and he got into one of the specialty schools in New York, and I did not. And so we parted ways at grammar school, but we're always great friends, and are still great friends. He ended up going to Culinary Institute of America, and it's just got synesthesia for flavor. He really is like nobody else. Hmm. I told King about what I was doing up in the buildings and wanted to you know, do something for the garden. I said, I need to make a hot sauce, but, you know, I'm not a cook. You are. Can you make a hot sauce? And he said, <laughs> yes. And so he went out and created the Bronx hot sauce. Right? And the Bronx hot sauce, well, even before that, we, we went up to New York State, has a New York State uh, food cooperative where they have experts and everything at Cornell in a place called Geneva, which is pretty far, I think about six hours, five hours upstate New York. And in Geneva, they have a guy in New York State on the payroll, the New York State hot pepper expert, which we did not know. So we went, we went and met with him and talked about which peppers, you know, might be more suitable. And he came up with Serrano's. Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, we could do Serrano's. And then King made a great formula. It was perfect, but he didn't pasteurize it because we didn't know he had to pasteurize it. So we had to redo the formula based on the pasteurization. Anyways, we came up with it. But King, uh, you know, has had a great restaurant in the Lower East Side of New York for 14 years and has worked with some of the biggest and best names in, in all of food consistently and is a very, very talented guy. I mean, the sauce is uh, all delicious. He created the Bronx hot sauce based on Serrano recommendation and his own formulas. It's delicious. It's mm-hmm. got an accolade. It's won awards. Uh, and it has really been right from its inception. And just to give you a little sense, you know, when we made that first batch, first couple of batches, actually, I remember a lot of people were trying to go, you know, it's really good. <laughs> like they were shocked? <laughs> I'll tell you why they were shocked. They thought they were helping me, which I don't think many people cared about, but they thought they were helping out the Bronx, you know, or like, you know, they were doing a charity thing. Sure. And who cares about the hot sauce? And then they tried the hot sauce, like. This is delicious. Like, yeah, what would you think we're going to do? Of course you're going to do it. <laughs> uh, King's going on to create a bunch of other formulas that were all related to um, flavor profiles of different cities. So it started in the Bronx. It went really well. It went to Queens. And then we subsequently going on to a couple of cities. And uh, we're just launching a new one in Atlanta, which you said this is airing in January. Yes. I think we'll cover it by then. If it's not, you got to speak. Hey, look at me go. <laughs> I like the early access. That makes me feel special. <laughs> well, and, and I appreciate Who better than you? But uh, they told me they're launching this thing three different times. I've quit asking. So I don't know when it's coming out, but it'll, come out, <laughs> it'll be good. Sometime soon we're going to get the Detroit hot sauce. Yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> now, I did notice that some of the cities have... Um, different blends depending on what would typically be grown there as well, kind of outside of the pepper industry. Uh, is Oakland that has the California raisin? does, yeah. And then the uh, Chicago one you mentioned is damn good on a hot dog. It is. It's more, it's more <laughs> into a spicy jalapeno relish. I, I really I like all the flavors. Mm-hmm. They're very good. King always tries to put in flavors that are uh, recognizing the area in some mm-hmm. capacity. So California was raisins, which, you know, I didn't think I'd really like, but I should have known better. It was excellent. And, uh, you know, some are better than others as far as I'm concerned, but I mm-hmm. think all of them have a home. And look, we can't make a sauce for each one of the cities we have gardens in, sure. but we could try to make a bunch and mm-hmm. figure out which ones work and don't. We're never going to stop 
with the gardens. It's just, you know, the city flavor thing. We'll do the best we can. Mm-hmm. And so far, it seems to be working. So Good. I, I mean, we kind of can't effectively create a lot of new flavors necessarily now. The, 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 there's a limit to how many hot sauce flavors can exist, I believe. Sure. <laughs> Whether they're, they're, I mean, it's infinite at one level, but it's it's not at another, right? Mm-hmm. That, that everything could be a little bit different, but you know, if you have six ingredients and use all six in various forms and fashions, they're just going to taste different, right? Or mm-hmm. they're similar, right? I, I like what we've done, and I like what we're doing, so um, I think we're going to keep doing it. And just like you said before, the folks that first tried your hot sauce thought they were doing this out of a charitable endeavor, like, let's buy this hot sauce, let's put some money back into the community gardens and the communities that are growing them. But then they were pleasantly surprised to find a super, super delicious hot sauce. You're not, it doesn't sound like you're just going to expand for expansion's sake. You're never going to lose the art of crafting a beautiful hot sauce. Never once. And I'll give you a friend's mm-hmm. I King and I have been friends from nursery school. And so one of the great keys to success in life is to know what you're really good at, what you're okay at, what you're not good at, right? And to understand that about other people as well would be a real critical formula on how to work well with people because you can get the best out of them. And if they're saying something you know they don't know anything about, you could ignore them, right? Sure. So, you know, and depending on who they are, various degrees of points of that in between. King is probably the best chef in America. Mm. I don't know if he's the most famous chef in America, but in my mind, I don't know that anyone's better. He's worked with everyone, and he has a real flavor synesthesia. So when he comes up with something, it's 100% worth listening to at all times, from my perspective. And I do. And so he created a formula recently, and the people who wanted it were complaining that it wasn't right, it wasn't this. And he, he just said, no, in certain terms, I'm not changing it. So you can do it. <laughs> Okay. And so they go, what are we going to do? I go, well, we better sell it to those other guys because this is all they're getting from us, right? So uh, it'll, but that's who he is. That's what he brings to the table. It's very unique about it. And America gets to taste that. I think that's a great thing. (laughs) So what is your favorite sauce that King has created? Well, I really like that bronze uh, sauce. I think it's, uh, just the best. It's good on everything. You mm-hmm. know, I think we talked about a little bit before we came on air. The litmus test for all hot sauces is uh, eggs. Yes. Eggs, ultimate protein. Eggs are, uh, you know, the way you can uh, really understand what's good in a hot sauce and what works about it, right? Uh, and and I think that uh, those two, many people like the habanero mango. People really like. Uh, it's a little spicier, more flavorful mm-hmm. than um, some of the other ones, which are, tend to run a little milder. But like I said, we haven't done anything I've not really liked. You know, sure. it's like, uh, you, you know, you love them all, but on the given day, you might love one more than another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I told my fiance that you recommended to try it on eggs, like that that was your litmus test for I need to taste the hot sauce, but I need to taste it on something. And he is a big fan of hard-boiled eggs. So are you talking scrambled or are you talking hard-boiled eggs? Beginning eggs, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the, the method of creating the cooked egg is less important. Anything but raw. Oh, gosh, no, thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that it matters. Just it's a good 
sort of neutralish food. It's a good protein to try it on, right? Sure. Other proteins, you know, they have different flavor profiles, and one thing might work well with another. But in mm-hmm. general, our hot sauces go well with any protein you pick. Some go better with some proteins than with others. Eggs is sort of the universal neutral, right, protein. Mm-hmm. I would have to agree. I don't eat eggs much myself. I do enjoy them on occasion, but I can see this being like the perfect neutral testing ground. I mean, I do happen to like eggs, but mm-hmm. it's not one has to like eggs. It's just <laughs> how does one appreciate whether or not it's a hot sauce? That's sure. All. So are you are you selling to restaurants too? You mentioned you were trying to make, or King was making the hot sauce for a group of people, and they said that's not quite right. That's not what he we want. And then he said, "Well, <laughs> I'm not changing it." <laughs> and you took it elsewhere. Is this making it into restaurants too, or just wholesale? No, it's a real problem. It's it's retail and wholesale. We mm-hmm. um we 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 need. We need to develop a better restaurant offering than the way we have. I mean, distribution becomes a big nexus, a bottleneck for us, right? So um, we would sell to restaurants if we could figure out how to do it to get – well, I mean, this is back before COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we, we would move something differently if we could get it into restaurants than we would move it retail, if that makes any sense. Sure. So we don't have a great nexus point into those restaurants yet or a great delivery mechanism. I, You know, some of the restaurants I've talked to that they carry this in around New York, guys I know that I go knock on the door and say, hey, and I show up with the cakes, okay? They'll, they'll generally be accommodating. I mean, it's a good sauce. They like it. But um, as it relates to bigger places that just need, you know, they're running a business. They don't want to hear a story every time they want a product or an ingredient, right? They just want what they want. Sure. Because it's hard enough, right? And so we've not really mastered that yet. It's a problem. And frankly, as that rolls out, uh, that will exponentially increase our growth. Excellent. So it's one of the great challenges of 2021. But mm-hmm. like where we sit for now. Good. And then as far as wholesale goes, how many, how many stores are you in? Do you have that number in your head? Or is that kind of a newer thing? No, it's it's newer in the sense that it's constantly evolving. We have a couple national distributors for us. One of them has adopted us, mm-hmm. and uh, their name is Kehi, and they put us in their Kehi Cares program, and and that will inure to us in a number of different ways. A number of benefits will come out of that, and we're they've explained to us what they are. We'd like to see them in reality, but we'll have way more visibility with them and their vendors, and that'll make a big difference. Mm-hmm. UNFI has done something not quite similar to that, but, um, you know, the good people of giant supermarkets, which I don't know if, do you have giants out there? We don't. Right. And we don't have them here in the East, well, in Manhattan, in New York City either, but um, they're big in the Mid-Atlantic and in the West, and the guys from Giant love the concept and are putting us in all their stores. Hmm. And they pulled us, yeah, it was really awesome that they did that, right? And some of the other chains have been just as good in terms of, they hear the story, they like it, so they've been trying to be helpful. So, like you said, if we just can tell the story enough times, uh, it'll resonate because people always want to be part of the solution if they have a choice, right? For sure. And it's not a decision that, you know, you're not going outside of your comfort zone. You're going to the store to buy hot sauce, right? <laughs> you're buying the purposeful hot sauce, though, not the hot sauce that was made down the line. <laughs> and, you know, 
if all three were the exact same ingredients in the bottle, you'd buy the one that was helpful. Most people would. Mm-hmm. But they're not the exact same ingredients. I mean, frankly, sure. I think on a flavor profile, uh, no one's better. I really don't think so. Mm-hmm. So challenges to really tell our story and to get it out there. The restaurant offering piece of it is part of us telling our story. The health food store that I used to work at that people have heard many, many times on the podcast so far, we would get shipments from Kehi and UNFI as well. And we were always really excited to see the new product sheet or the special sheet, or I love that they have that Kehi Cares program too. So those are two distributors that I'm familiar with. And I know that there are, there are two stores in the area um, two small like mom and pop stores in the area that go through them too. Our other, the major, major grocery store around the Midwest where I'm at is Hy-Vee. So we shall see. There, I think Hy-Vee Food Stores, it's an Iowa-based company. I, it's not Newton. Is it North Liberty, I want to say, is where they're based. That might not mean anything to you. That's okay. But um, Hy-Vee Food Stores, I, I see the UNFI truck and I know that it's not just going to the mom and pop ones. They stop at High V too. I mean, UNFI has been great. They cover a lot of accounts. And actually, you know, mm-hmm. those specialty retailers, there's a couple like really kind of organic distributors that, you know, those guys who run those specialty stores, we've talked to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty cool people. I mean, maybe not all of them all the time, but a lot of them, almost most of the time, because you know, they go to the food shows and they're checking out everything that's new and they're looking at things and they're they're buying and sourcing things that, you know, allow people like us to meet people like them. And mm-hmm. we've been a lot of those specialty stores because, you know, they listen to the story. They like where it's coming from. And, you know, as you solve distribution problems, they have a little more access to it. It, it will become more plentiful to them and around. So mm-hmm. it's really an, an economic model that we're trying to make work. You, the consumer gets to help places you wouldn't ordinarily even understand exist or go to necessarily. But now you get the everyone wins. They can mm-hmm. sell pepper. We can make hot sauce. We can tell the story. And, and that community grows uh, a bit, right? Mm-hmm. And we bring that to the consumer on the website with our various postings and different things and could always do a better job of it. And you're never quite sure what the right mix is, but um, – you know, we, we went out and did a photo series this summer where we hired this guy locally. He's a great photographer, one of the best. And he took, like, all these tremendous shots of the gardens. Have you seen them? They're on our Instagram. Mm-hmm. And they're from the summertime, like around August, September. And I posted them all up there. They're great. You know, they're really striking photos. And uh, it was a lot about community gardens during COVID and what they were doing to help and how they were trying to make things happen and do things. So. Like doing it, thought it was pretty cool, and you know, continue to sort of bring visibility to that area of the world that sort of maybe not everyone understands very well. Sure, and if they've not had that exposure to in the Midwest, I mean, we have places like that here too that I think are just isolated sometimes, and the systems that are in place kind of keep us from realizing what's going on or how the quote unquote, I kind of hate this phrase, but the other half lives and things like that. You don't, you don't always see it. You don't have the awareness until it's brought up and brought to your attention. That's true. And listen, you know, I don't, it's just, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where people did not leave that neighborhood either. And it's in Mm -hmm. one of the more metropolitan cities in the whole wide world. Right. But like 
and grew up on 14th Street and First Avenue. And there are people from my neighborhood who really didn't go much further ever. I mean, frankly, mm-hmm. that would be weird, but like, at least got a little bit. But, you know, your world is what you make it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't go very far, well, then you don't know very much. And some people in some neighborhoods don't really go that far at all. But, you know, like in Queens, we have the Queens hot sauce. Did you know this, uh, Julia, that 50% of the people who live in Queens right now were born in another country? Really? Digest that for a second as a concept. And it's huge. It's like 2 million people, right? So yeah. One million born somewhere else. And they're not born in like one place. They're born in like 500 places. And so the ethnic food offerings are across the board. And, you know, people come here from other places. They understand how big the world is, right? Mm-hmm. The gardens help them come together in that format. But then other people, you know, get to see a, a broader world by exposure to them. Where are you from? What's that country? I never heard of it. Mm-hmm. You know, map is really two-dimensional for most of us, right? It's a piece of paper, and you put a finger on it say it's over there. Okay. Yeah, good. But, you know, when you hear stories, when you talk to people from there, you get a sense of – you have a different sense of their reality. Sure. Hmm. So if – Community gardens in other towns that maybe haven't had the exposure to what you guys are doing, if they're interested in getting some seeds, perhaps for next year, what's the protocol for that? What's the timeline? Uh, Timelines are always a tricky concept. (laughs) It should be right away. But Mm -hmm. the timeline is um, uh, starting around now. We, 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 you know, 20... COVID jammed us up pretty good because we had a whole tour lined up. We we had gone in February to New Orleans to go talk to the people at the Cahey Food Show. Mm-hmm. We were going at the first week of March to go to talk to the National Food Show they have out in L.A. And we had a whole garden tour thing mapped out. Uh, but none of it came to be because, you know, you got shut down here in New York and then the rest of the country soon after. So that jammed us up on the one hand. Sales grew uh, very well. So that was doing great. You wonder what would have happened had you had a fuller sort of bandwidth to deal with everything. But that's, you know, we don't get too lost in that stuff. We are where we are. So we're hoping that 2021 we can add more gardens. It's on the website, how to contact us. Mm-hmm. Info at com is always worthwhile. And we'll start mailing and calling into people. Kind of, it's a weird thing because you can't really call people and ask them to participate. You can just, make them aware of it. Well, it won't work, right? Sure. The people who find it want to want to know about it. And we've had some great success. I mean, there's some organizations in Chicago that are dealing with some very serious issues. And, like, they use the hot sauce in the same nexus. You're bigger than your surrounding. You're bigger than yourselves. Take a look. And the stories are really uplifting. and They're, they're really excellent. So, you know, to allow the consumer to play a role in that or other gardens to play a role in that is the design you know, we would like as many gardens participating as possible. Mm-hmm. It would be a great outcome. So what we can do as consumers is, of course, not only buy your magnific- magnificent hot sauce, but just tell more people and tell your story. In the beginning of the episode, you mentioned just getting people interested, telling people their story, getting them to listen is sometimes difficult, but just spreading that message of hope and what one company is doing with a bunch of peppers and a whole lot more hot sauce and just keeping that message out there. 
yeah, I mean, frankly, it only works because people participate in it. If that mm-hmm. community doesn't grow, then it'll be harder to make it work, right? Which sure. it's one sort of smaller community into a larger community that sort of can relate to, you know, what's going on. It's 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 uh, we think it's excellent. We're really proud of the work we've done, and we're happy to uh, keep telling the story until we can get to sort of critical point where you can have a lot. I mean, it, it could be kind of big if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. It could be a lot of people participating in it and it dovetails into other opportunities in the community and to communities that maybe wouldn't have had them. We're starting to talk to some people in and around here about creating a, a, um, you know, commercial kitchen to cook the stuff in mm-hmm. now, because of where we're at, well, we can kind of show up as a reasonably sizable customer and say, Hey, we can do this here, but you're going to need more than us. But it's a nice seed hook to get other people interested in making something like that happen. And that becomes a jobs training thing, an entrepreneurial thing. And uh, there's a couple other offshoots that may exist because of it. And I think, you know, people, organizations can make it run so that it's self-supporting. Mm-hmm. And that would be the outcome, right? Because once you're self-supporting, uh, you have real autonomy over what it is you want to do and where you want to go. And that that's, I think, a really critical element of, of all this, right? Mm-hmm. Letting people sort of speak on for their own selves, their own voices, right? We don't try to interfere with that. And some of the messages are, you know, from my perspective, a little bit out there. But, you know, they believe it and they want to say it. So we give them a framework to say it because uh, they're living it. Sure. Hmm. You've really, you've given a lot of people a platform to not only come together as a community to share what they have to share so more people hear it, but also just facilitated that community aspect that I think people have to feel supported in order to feel comfortable sharing what they have to share, if that makes any sense. it's, It's a circular circular sort of situation you have to have people to listen to you but you also have to feel comfortable enough to say something to those people yeah that's right and and you know and, and to give them you know we all have a family member who's a jerk right or <laughs> some of us have multiple family members who are jerks and they say things and they bring up things and you say and what a jerk well, you should. <laughs> and, and they just they almost need that problem well you know the online world is like that too. You have 98 people trying to do something good, two people saying something bad, and the focus becomes on the two people. We 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 try to ignore the two people. Mm-hmm. You know, just we're New Yorkers. We're used to ignoring people. We live with eight million of them. If you paid attention, everyone would go back to right. And oh my so, gosh. yeah, right. So you know, you got to put up with the. You know, they say thick skin, but you just got to tolerate a lot of, uh, you know, silly uncles and aunts, right? <laughs> Better way to think. I like that. That's good. Silly yeah. aunts and uncles pay no yeah. attention. I'm thankful I have some pretty awesome family members, but you know, it's the stereotypical aunt and uncle from the movies that you see too that some people actually have in real life. <laughs> is, is there some TV commercial now saying we got a new house, but we have ants? Oh yeah, they're walking around the house criticizing everything and everyone. Yup. I've been blessed. Most of my aunts are pretty good. It's the only <laughs> I would more refer to, but uh, you know, you can understand the scenario where that's true, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, John, in addition to purchasing in a 
ethical and supportive way and getting the message out about programs that are already doing things that are spectacular. Do you have any advice or any recommendations for consumers on how to affect positive change and entrepreneurs who may be interested in doing the same? Well, two different audiences. Entrepreneurs, you know, consumers, you know, I think consumers all want to understand their product. I don't know many people who just go in and buy something that it's on the shelf. It's some semblance of understanding. And so mm-hmm. we try to tell our story. Hopefully they'll be, you know, receptive to listening to it. We just became a B Corp, I should have mentioned earlier. And so that'll be on every label. And I, I think that's part of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, we're doing this other thing. Hey, we're doing this other thing. It'll resonate eventually, you know. As to entrepreneurs doing this, you know, the only thing I can say that I found of any value, and I was surprised by it as well. Um, you know, other when we have benefited from it immensely when we started and have tried to pass it on as much as we can. People who are going to compete with us in exactly what we're doing, I mean, no one does what we do, but some version therein, right? Um, and they said, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, we help them all, and they're always surprised by it. And, and you know, I know why we help them all, because when we started, we helped we would ask people questions. They went out of their way to help us. They had us in. They walked us through. I go, Jesus, man, everyone is so nice in this thing. How could that be true? Like, well, I was kept looking for the angle. How, what are they doing here, right? And, you know, I think they have been, they're kooky entrepreneurs like we are, right? And sort of wanted to do something that they thought was useful. And so um, they, they keep sharing that community to be helpful. For the entrepreneurs trying this, you know, it's tough, man. You just got to hang in there. You got to be tough. And you got to kind of make sure um, you're waking up doing something you really feel passionate about because I don't know how many overnight successes there are. I actually don't think there's any. But, I mean, to the extent that they exist, they're one in a you know, lottery-esque type numbers. You're going to be you know, block and tackle, sales, distribution, how do you make all this stuff happen? There's a lot of logistics to it, and you just got to keep at it. And you're you know, going to make some mistakes. I like to tell people I learned a lot going to college, and it was expensive. But um, I've learned significantly more expensive lessons after college than ever. <laughs> college would have focused in on had I known what I was going to do as an adult. Uh, it costs way more money than college, too. So you're like, okay, boy, that's uh, disappointing. But, it, you know, look. It's tough, but you know, one of the great things about this country is that you know anyone can try to be an entrepreneur. It's very hard to be successful at it. And I'm not sure that we are yet. We think we've achieved some level of success, but it's not it's not the end game. And so it's it's a perpetuating thing that goes on for as long as you're trying to do it, uh, or as long as you can do it. So they all have, and maybe this is a great way to uh, sum it up. Uh, Juliet, they all have tremendous hope in tomorrow. Mm. They focus all their energy on tomorrow, what they can make it become. And they have that hope and that energy because of their belief in a a better tomorrow and a better world. And they push themselves to do that. And that's what we've been trying to do from day one on this without even actually understanding that's what we were doing on day one of this. So it's been a good lesson. It's one I'm very glad to have learned along the way. Hmm. John, thank you so much. Thank you for all of that. Just your heartfelt responses and taking time to be on the podcast and everything that you're doing. I think it's so amazing. And I'm 
honored to be able to share that story with other people too. I, I think the world needs more storytellers and they need to hear the stories of the good things that are happening. Like you said, you have all these people that are speaking positively and then you hear these two negative reviews and that's what we tend to focus on. But I don't know if you can have the hope in the future if you're not looking at the bright points and the good things that are happening. Yeah, where you can be, right? You can always mm -hmm. be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's easier for some of us to do than others, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't be the goal for everyone. Right? Sure. So. Now the final question, sir, the one that's always challenging for most people, or maybe you're prepared and maybe you have a... Direct answer right away. What's your favorite food? Favorite <laughs> food. Oh man. <laughs> I would say almost anything King makes. All right. You know, having tasted almost all his foods uh, and flavors, he really is special. He used to have a restaurant downtown, and he made about not. And I am not kidding. He made about nine things that were my favorite. He made this uh, pork Chinese sausage with sticky rice. This green sauce he made and. You know, it, it, yeah, it, anything that guy whips up is good. You know, he, hmm. he comes out sometimes and we were lucky enough to catch fish and he makes fish. And then the fish is the best thing I ever had. It's the same fish I cooked a week before, you know, but he'll make it better. So maybe it's not so much the dish, it's the prepare of the dish that counts, right? There you go. The person could make any crappy thing delicious, right? Probably a talentless person could make any good thing really crappy. So. <laughs> So any good quality food that King makes, which it sounds like everything King makes is good quality food. <laughs> I've yet to have it done, and I've known the man for about 50 years, so <laughs> I'm not betting on it happening tomorrow. Oh, that's excellent. Well, John, thank you so, so much for your time and your energy and the good work that you're doing. Thank you, dude. I'm glad to get the chance to do this. Can you let me know what the sauces taste like? I will. I will for sure. I will. Let's see. I'm getting my brother some for Christmas since this is coming out after Christmas. That's not spoiling anything. So brother will be trying some. I will be trying some. And the egg eating fiance will be trying some as well. So we will all be sure to um, leave our reviews there and uh, share that with the world too. I'll do it. I'll do a reaction. If I get a really hot one, you guys will get to see my, my eyes water right away. <laughs> too bad. You'll be okay. <laughs> Well, excellent, guys. Again, you can find John and King's creations at smallaxpeppers.com. You can find them in some retailers, hopefully more in 2021, and maybe we'll see them in a couple restaurants in 2021. What's up? But if you ever get to New York, Julia, have to look us up. Yes, please. I've been twice. We actually stayed um, under almost, almost directly underneath the Queensboro Bridge. Yeah. It was not considered Queens. It was Queen. It was it was a different Long Island City. Maybe. Yeah, that's where that I might be it. Seriously, funny. Well, I'm it's moderately familiar. Staring, and there's a hotel huh. right up the block. Do you remember what What's hotel it? it was? No. What's the name of it? Maybe it'll jog my memory. West. I walk by it every day. It's like a Fest Western or something. I don't know. Ah, <sighs> I'll have to look it up, and I'll have to get back to you on that. It's a pretty smart hotel to stay at without giving them a full plug here because um, they basically, you're right next to the train station. You're in New York City in one stop, and the rates have to be like at least 40% lower. Yep. That yeah. it was close to everything, but it was so, so inexpensive. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
There's a one city hotel, which is right there. And there's a couple over here, but they're really close to the train and they're right in the Manhattan. Pretty good deal. Hmm. Funny. Well, yeah, we got a friend out there, Emily, actually, that we need to go see once we are once we are traveling again. So most definitely, maybe you can come check out some of the gardens that you have there even. That'd be great. You can get a big kick out of it. What does Emily I love do? it. Emily works for the dodo.com, actually. She makes amazing animal videos. Well, you told me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. So we'll be going to see Emily when we can for sure. All right. That sounds good. Something to look forward to. Excellent. Thanks for everything. Do we need to do anything else? Thank you so much. We are good, sir. Ready. Take it easy. Perfect. You too. Bye, guys.